Hey, Anita. And possibly Ollie. So I sent the, the sermons because I've been kind of storing them up and finally got around to actually uploading them for Anita. And she went and found a, like a hotel lobby or a cafe or something and, um, and downloaded them. So she's all excited. Um, so you're great, Anita. Um, so I am now uh, still kind of in the same theme that I've been running in for a little while now. I want to keep carrying on with that. I said that we we're going to talk about practices, so we're kind of going to do that for a bit. And um, we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 11. And there's going to be a few weeks of this. Not next week, though. I don't know what's happening next week yet, because uh, I'm running the children's church. So I don't know what you all are doing in the grown-up church, because I'm running children's church next week. So... If you have really feel inspired for next week, uh, I need someone to speak. Um, Can we do, this is, a bit, this is a bit weird, but like, Colin, you know how you set up the, um, the prayer environment thing that had like cool, Ooh. well not next, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's a lot of time. I'm not saying next, I'm not saying next week, but like sometime this year, could we do that again? Because I thoroughly enjoyed that, like prayer environment the, the stations of prayer thing. Yeah. Let's do that at some point. Great. Okay, so yes, so next week, not sure. Uh, that or we'll all be doing children's church. So one or the other. Uh, Catherine's voting for worship and hanging out together. So yeah, I'm not sure what's happening, but that may be it. Anyway, right now, we're in Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened doesn't actually say that. It just says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I, uh, I added a word. I don't know if that makes me a bad person. In the Jeff Amplified version, it says, weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's one of those uh, little things that Jesus said that I love to read and then feel cheesed off about. Because um, honestly, who really feels like, like that? Who really honestly feels relaxed, at peace, humble, gentle, you know, finding rest for your soul? Has anyone ever experienced rest for their soul? You know, the idea there's no rest for the wicked. I am clearly very wicked. <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like I live in a pretty constant state of fatigue that is only amplified by adding more children. Uh, I feel busy. I feel hurried. And frankly, a lot of the time I feel pretty over church and faith and being a Christian altogether. Like, so Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I'm like, yes, I'm a Christian. I would like to come to Jesus and get some of this rest that he's talking about. Um. But here's the problem. When we, when we think about taking Jesus' yoke, normally when I approach this, I think, well, I've got the yoke I've already got. I'll just try and put Jesus' yoke on top of that one. And I can assure you, two yokes ain't better than one. So Jesus' yoke may be light, but if you keep the first yoke and add the second yoke, then you're just going to be torn because the yokes are trying to pull you in different directions. So not only are you now carrying two different burdens, you're also trying to walk in two different directions. And that sucks. 
He said the people that Jesus was talking to here, um, they were yoked as well. They were yoked by the, the yoke of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said, we sit in the seat of Moses, which said, we have the authority of Moses. And then the Pharisees doled out these little yokes to everyone they met and said, you have to behave the way we tell you to behave. There was like, like the, the Pharisees were crazy. So Moses had these 10 commandments. And then even by the time that first generation had died in the desert, Moses then gets up and explains the Ten Commandments to the next generation. And that's like the whole book of Deuteronomy. I don't know about you, but there was one chapter in Exodus that had Ten Commandments in it. And then by the time their children are gone, we have an entire book explaining it. Like, there's just so much weight to the law. There's so many rules. I think the Pharisees had like 365 um, different kind of rules and then they had like 250 prohibitions as well and then they had like it was just this unbelievable codified law of ethics and morality that you had to abide by and they said we have the authority of Moses you have to do what we sell you and they dumped this yoke over everyone who came to the temple over everyone who said that they were a Jew they had to deal with this idea that we have to live according to this set of laws and this set of rules in order to be clean in order to be saved in order to be good in order to not be in trouble in order... and it was a heavy burden which is why Jesus accused them he said you keep putting this burden on other people that you're not even carrying yourself now I don't carry around too much I'm not a, like a Messianic Jew. I'm not like a Jew that believes in Jesus. I don't carry so much of the Old Testament law around. I wear the wrong clothes. Um, I don't trim my beard that much. So I got, I got the, but even then I trim it at the sides, which is what the prohibition was. It was like, don't trim your beard on the sides there. Well, I trim. That's the only bit I do trim, really. So I'm not a good Jew. I don't follow those rules. You know, I don't eat so much shellfish. So, you know, maybe I'm a good Jew there. Um, huh? I eat a lot of bacon. I saw a funny meme this week and it was like, had a picture of, of a, a Muslim gentleman and a Jewish gentleman and a Christian guy and some other faith and a Hindu, I think. And in all of them, it had, they all had funny hats. So it had like, funny hat, no bacon. Funny hat, no bacon. Funny hat, no bacon. And then the Christian guy had a funny hat, but he had bacon. It was like, this is a powerful apologetic. Um, Christians get bacon. Um, <laughs> Yes, we should care for the earth. And, and God gave Noah all of the animals to eat. So um, I think we can make ethical reasons to not eat meat, but I'm not so convinced of the moral ones. So moving right along, not preaching about vegetarianism, which there is a case for, because in the garden they were vegetarians. And if we want to live how God created it in the garden, then maybe. Um, but if we also want to enjoy bacon, I'm not going to condemn you. Not a Pharisee, not going to put that yoke on you. Just don't feel compelled to do that. Here's the thing though. I don't live under that Jewish yoke and I don't live under the vegetarian yoke, even though perhaps, you know, there is a case for it. Um, I, don't, I do live under the, if you use takeaway cups on Sunday, I'll kill you yoke. Um, so now we don't really do that. Um, so there you go. I'm yoked a little bit. It's a heavy, it's a heavy yoke. But, so I'm not under all of those Jewish yokes, but the, the Pharisees did that to people. So Jesus was saying to them, don't put up with the yoke that you're being given that isn't fair. Have a new yoke. And I have, I have a yoke for you. But here's the problem. We do carry around a heavy yoke. Our culture adds a burden to us or, and it adds a burden to our soul, not just to our life, but to our soul that is 
heavy and it makes us tired and it makes us ornery and angry and judgmental and it makes us hurtful and it makes us like we carry around this burden from our culture. We are yoked by the desperate need to perform like our value comes from all the things that we achieve. We are yoked by a desperate need for promotion and we are yoked by a desperate need to obtain more stuff all the time. The globalism and materialism of our culture burdens us with this this, um, comparison lifestyle where we always think what we have is not enough and that that we are not enough. We are burdened by this performance measures. We are burdened by the sexualization of everything in our culture. Everything is sexualized. You know, you go to the shop, you buy a banana and there'll be a tag on it with a sexy looking banana. You know what I mean? Like everything gets sexualized in our culture. There is no way that we can escape that. We are burdened by that yoke constantly. We are burdened by the greed of our culture and the envy of our culture and, and worse, the apathy of our generation. We, are, we have so much and care so little. When Peter, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, when he got up and he, the first sermon of the New Testament church, he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But the reason, the thing they needed to be saved from was not some eternal damnation. He says, you need to be saved from your wicked and perverse generation, from your sick and broken culture. We are burdened and yoked by these things. And there is, and there is just so much of it, so constantly that it's just coming in. Pouring on top of us. We live under a burden of failure or expectation or disappointment. Many, for many people for, of depression and fear. For a lot of people, they just live shallow, detached lives, caring only for themselves. We're trapped by this yoke just as much as the audience that Jesus was speaking to is trapped under a yoke. And Jesus says to them, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to take his yoke. But we also have to live like Jesus. It's not enough to say I want his yoke. We have to live like him. To carry his yoke. And he wasn't hurried the way that we are hurried. He wasn't busy the way that we are busy. Uh, In Luke chapter 10, we have this story that gets brought up all the time about Mary and Martha. And Mary's kind of, you know, working hard and Martha's... um, No, sorry. Martha is working hard and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there's a story in Luke chapter 10. It says, Martha, Martha. Uh, And the Lord answered, because she's complaining that Mary's not helping. He says, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and and it will not be taken away from her. You are worried and upset about many things. I mean, if I was to die tomorrow, you could probably put that on my tombstone. (laughs) Jeff was worried and upset about many things. I get up in the morning because my children are annoying me. Mm. I'm upset about that. You ever been on the internet and a web page won't load? And just, you're like, 
yell at your computer or something. I don't, I'm not, I don't yell at people all that much. Maybe my children a little bit. I'm glad they're not here to testify. Um, I'm not really that much of an angry guy, but man, when I'm trying to get in the car and they are stuffing around, <laughs> like a bunch of parents laugh and everyone else is like, what do you mean? You just get in the car. You sit that on. <laughs> yeah, I wish that I could get in the car and put my seatbelt on. That's what I say to Gideon every single day. If I get in the car and put my seatbelt on before you, because I've already put Theodore's seatbelt on, and then if I can still get in the car and put my seatbelt on before you have managed to put your seatbelt on, well, I'm going to be very upset. I'm going to be very worried and upset. I'm glad he's not here, because I can just see him next week saying to me, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, Dad. Indeed, only one. And he would. He'd say it, and he'd say it. The worst bit is, he'd be sincere. Without any kind of guile or, you know, like... You're worried and upset about many things. So once I finally get the seatbelts on, after Theodore stops sitting on his hands so that I can't put his arms into the straps... Like, Theodore, come on, buddy. And he looks at me. I finally get in the car and we're on our way out. And the bins aren't out. And we have like a thousand bins here. Like, it's just, it's absurd. And it's one job that I've managed to somehow not make myself responsible for. But at least once a month, I like, I kind of send a not passive aggressive message to normally Caleb, but otherwise the house saying, what's going on with the bins there, team? Anyone keen to put those out? I am worried and upset about many things. And then we're late because of the whole car getting in thing. And then someone drives slow in front of me. And I am worried that we're late because I'm the only person in my family who is concerned about being late. And I am worried and I am upset about many things. It's when we get, when we do the reverse out of the car park and we get all the way to the end and just as we're leaving, I look back and I see the doors still open. I think to the house, I think, Ariella, I'm just, I'm so done. (laughs) Every day you're late because you run back into the house to get something and you leave the door open and it's winter, right? So we're losing all of the heat out of the house and I am worried and I am upset about many things. Come to me all who are wearied. And burdened, and I will give you rest. Pastor Jeff would really love to take that yoke and learn from Jesus. We need to slow down. There's this, um, this new guy that I'm listening to lots and stealing his ideas, a guy named John Mark Coma. I wish I knew how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to look that up. Nothing worse than when you're reading someone's name and you're like, oh, I don't know. I got a few kids in one of my in my class at Bergman who have like like names from like weird like places in India and they they're not even remotely anglicized and we're a long way into the year and I still say their names with like a question mark at the end of it. It's bad. So I'm gonna learn how to say this. Anyways, he says this thing. He says, hurry is a form of violence to the soul. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul. I read something somewhere once that said that, um, that, love, that for children, time is their love language. 
And uh, so if touch is your love language and someone keeps hitting you, it's the most abusive thing they can do because it's like the, the way they experience intimacy is through touch and you are violating them directly in that kind of, or if a person's love language is words of affirmation, but then you, you curse them and you speak against them. That's like the most painful way that you can attack them. So for children, if their love language is time, to be in a hurry with them is like the most grating thing that you can do in terms of the intimacy you have with them. And I am worried and upset about many things. And so frequently, it's because I am hurried and I am busy. And I worry and, I, and I'm upset about all the wrong things. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul. See, taking on the yoke of Jesus, it's, it's not enough to just add it to your current yoke. You actually have to change uh, your life radically to look more like the life of Jesus and to follow the pace that Jesus' life had. See, we, we associate being busy with productivity and importance. You know, you say to someone, how you been? Oh, busy. Like, I'm super important. I'm busy. Or if you've been talking to a life coach, I'm in high demand. <laughs> I'm in really high demand because it doesn't make me feel as anxious, right? It makes me feel powerful and important because that's what we want. I am in high demand. Because we think that being busy or being hurried or being stressed or, you know, having a full calendar, uh, we think that, man, you know, I got like four hours sleep last night. We're, we're proud of how we abuse our bodies. You know, like, I didn't even eat breakfast. It's pretty embarrassing. They're at school. They're doing Father's Day things at like preschool. And the kids have to write on the board which day their dad's going to come in to do a Father's Day breakfast. So I'm going in on Tuesday. It's going to be sweet. But they also had to write down what their dad has for breakfast. Ted's dad has coffee for breakfast. Every other dad had a food listing. Yeah, I take my coffee with me. Like, I don't have time to actually have my coffee. I make a takeaway coffee and take it with me because I'm hurried. Matthew 4, verse 1 to 3, it says this. This is right after Jesus get baptized. And the, and, and the dove kind of descends and the voice of God says, this is my son and I'm proud of him. And then it says, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. Now, normally when I read this, and I read this section reasonably often, I normally make a joke about how the spirit is a jerk, like, like, really? You know, like, leave me into the desert? Like, I'm like at this high point. I'm like getting baptized. Like, literally, the sky cracked open. And now you want me to go and starve myself for a month and then have someone come pick on me. Like, the spirit, I normally make a joke about that. Uh, but, and I love how it says after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. I'm like, yeah, you think. Um, And then when the tempter comes to him at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable time because he's hungry, he's tired, he's done, he's spent. That's the time that the tempter comes to him. But it's actually the complete opposite. See, it says here that Jesus went into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is um, the same word that we, like when we translate lonely places. So in, like, in Luke 5, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The Eremus, 
the lonely place. He went into the Eremus. The, and you see, when Jesus goes to the lonely place, he doesn't go there and then get exhausted. He goes there and gets filled up. He goes to the lonely place. He goes and finds that solitude and that quiet and that place of silence because that's what gives him strength. And the reason that the spirit led him into the lonely place and after 40 days of fasting, the spirit allows the tempter to come to him is because that's when Jesus is at his strength, not his weakness. It's after 40 days of, of that solitude, that wilderness experience of communing with God, that Jesus might be hungry, but he's also super psyched up. It's like super Saiyan Jesus. It's the magic, it's the magic source of Jesus' power. You know, later on when they're like trying to cast out demons and he's like, this one only comes out with prayer and fasting. This one comes out when you've been in the lonely place, when you've been in the Eremus, when you've been in the wilderness, when you've been alone with God and you're full of power because you are no longer hurried and you are no longer burdened by the yoke of the world. You don't even care about the crap of the world anymore. You haven't been eating and you get to the end of that place and you are ready. And then the spirit's like, sure thing, devil, come and have a crack at it. It's when Jesus is in his strength that the tempter comes to him and Jesus wins. Because he withdrew to a lonely place. And I don't know about you, but I am not good at withdrawing to a lonely place. Last year, I went away for two nights to try and be alone. And after one night, I rang someone and said, come hang out with me. I can't do this. And I rang them before the first night had even started. And they were like, I can't come out now. I'll come tomorrow. I'm like, good. No wonder I'm angry and upset about many things and worried and concerned and because I'm carrying around a yoke of expectation and a yoke of performance and a yoke of not sleeping enough and a yoke of, of, of anxiety and a yoke of fear and a yoke of all of the nonsense of our corrupt and perverse generation. And I'm not good at going to the lonely place and getting filled up and becoming like Jesus so that I can learn how to carry his yoke. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So I have written down a list of things here for myself. Um, some strategies for slowing down my life. Because I want to live more like Jesus did. And even though he had a pretty full calendar, he found time for the lonely place of solitude and prayer. And we're going to be talking about what that looks like and how to do that a little bit more in the next, uh, in the next little while. Because normally I think people avoid silence. Because when they get there, it's awful. You know what I mean? Like you're in the car for like one minute and you're like, oh man, I hate, I need to turn on the music or I need to turn on a podcast or I need to turn on a story. Because one minute with myself is the worst thing ever, right? You get to that place or if, you, if you're silent for all of five minutes, then the glaring emptiness in your entire soul becomes to bear. And you're like, what is all this? You, you know, you go through a nihilistic moment of self-reflection. I don't know if that happens to anyone else. Um, but I'm not good at being quiet. But I need to be better at that because Jesus went to that quiet place, that solitary place, the Eremus, to be filled up. And it was because of that lifestyle, the pacing of his life, that he was able to carry around a lighter yoke. So I have a list here of strategies that I'm going to try um, to slow down. So at the moment, I really, I, 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 I do a lot of listening to books, which I like, but I want to do more reading of books because it is different. Um, I want to walk. 
I want to, uh, I, do, I do a lot of walking, but I, I'm normally, again, listening to something, doing something, talking to someone on the phone or whatever. I'm not just being quiet, being alone in the quiet, breathing. I don't know if you've ever done that, just sat and tried to breathe, but um, yeah, Ellen's great at breathing. But just being quiet and breathing. Having a cup of coffee with isn't to go. Actually just sitting and, and for the however long it takes for the heat to leach out of that cup for me to just be quiet. Eating my food instead of, you know, like chewing it for real. Like the mindfulness stuff. Being in that moment and just slowing down. I am going to try and leave early. Like we try to be places on time every day and then I end up hurried and anxious and worried and freaking out and I'm just going to be there early and we're just going to sit. We're going to arrive early and just sit. I want to encourage you to join the longest queue in the supermarket. I don't know if you get there and you're like, you like look at who was on the checkout and you're like, I want that, that kid who's clearly on the spectrum, who's trying to go a million miles an hour. <laughs> no conversation, just all putting stuff through the, you know, or, or, like just find the longest queue and just be patient. Take 10 deep breaths. And if you can do that, take 20, take 30, just slow down. Cook something that requires a recipe and make all the ingredients yourself. Like put it all together yourself. Eat a meal without television. Try not to pull out your phone for one church service. That's not actually what my note said, and no one's actually got their phone out right now. So, um, But there is few things more disgusting and despicable than when we leave here and I open Facebook and I see that you've been Facebooking. Y'all are my friends on Facebook. I can see when you do that. <laughs> oh the shame <laughs> wow bing bing that's it yeah I don't know go to the toilet the old fashioned way <laughs> where you don't have a phone I don't know if you ever get to the toilet and you're like damn what am I going to do apart from like go to the toilet now have less stuff. Declutter your life and mind by having less meaningless stuff. I've got a recipe for that. Remove across the planet. Yeah, you have to take less stuff. Every time you buy one new thing, try to get rid of two old things. Try to have less stuff. Sweet, blessed, magnificent, no. Just in the face of expectation and demands and just no. Just, I'm sorry, no. Don't be ashamed to say, no, actually, I'm going to be alone. Don't let anyone shame you for having a nap. You know, like everyone else is freaking out on this boat and Jesus is having a nap. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> when everyone else is freaking out and worried, we're going to die. No, I'm having a nap. <laughs> Don't be ashamed to do that. One of the things we're going to talk about in, in a few weeks, we're going to look at um, uh, Elijah and 
Elijah is just, he's, he's up Mount Carmel. He has this huge experience where he like wins. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like all the prophets of Baal are upset about that. And anyways, and then he runs off and he crashes. He has like, he totally crashes. And then he like sits, he sits down and just naps for like ages. He's not like, and there's like a bird that brings him food or something. It's weird. Anyway, he just naps. And I reckon for a lot of us, the reason we can't do silence and solitude is because we have a bone weariness inside of us that anytime we sit for more than a minute, we fall asleep. And we actually need to get past that. Take a few days off and just have a decent nap. It probably the best thing you could do for your spiritual life is nap long enough that when you go to pray, you don't fall asleep. And don't feel bad about it. Just slow down. Be bored. For people who were, you know, like 15 or older after like 2007 when the first iPhone came out, you wouldn't understand that. Um, but before that, we did this thing called boredom and it was great. Um, well, you don't just constantly have like every possible entertainment. It's not my kids. They're like, oh, we don't want to watch that. And I'm like, when I was a kid, we watched whatever bloody Saturday Disney gave us. <laughs> Once a week when there was a decent cartoon on because it was just crappy quiz shows in the afternoons. And we watched ads. I know you don't understand what that is, but be bored. Spend time with people, not technology. Um, wear a dumb watch. I wear a smartwatch and it's constantly telling me things. Even since I've been sitting here, it's like binging, but not loudly and embarrassingly. <laughs> wear a dumb watch. Slow down. Don't raise your voice. Just talk quietly. And if people aren't listening, just wait and then try again. Just that, like, I, I bolded that one because it hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> develop a practice of peace. Now, and it's important when you find solitude, we're not trying to find isolation. There's a difference. Solitude is, it fulfills you and isolation empties you. The, you know, solitude like, is where Jesus filled up his tank Isolation is what we would consider a cruel and unusual torture and punishment. There is a difference between that. And whenever you go to the place of solitude, the Eremus, the, the, the quiet, lonely place, if all you experience is isolation and emptiness and fear, you're not doing that right. And we're going to talk about how to try and do that right because some of us need to learn that. Um, but we're trying to find solitude. We're trying to find God in that place. And, and I know as scary as it is, but yourself in that place. And, and that's something we have to learn because it is a discipline. It's not something that you get magically. It's a discipline. Have a Sabbath. Be present. You know, Jesus did this. This is why we want to follow the pace and match the pace of Jesus' life. He was present to people. He was there. He wasn't constantly checking his phone. He wasn't constantly worried about tomorrow. Not because, like when he, when he said that parable and he's like, you know, the lilies of the field, they don't worry, the birds in the sky, they don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. He's not saying that everything will be perfect tomorrow. He's saying there's enough crap to worry about today. So worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But also you can't fix it by worrying about it. But he's not saying don't have plans and don't have, don't organize your life. He's not saying be irresponsible. He's saying, just slow down and be in that moment where you are today. Be available where you are in a conversation to the person you're talking to, not just thinking about what you're going to say next. Be present. 
Jesus did this when the children tried to get to him and his disciples were like, get lost. Kids aren't important. You don't get time with Jesus. He's like, no, let them come forward. I'm going to be present to them. He was there for them in that moment. Like the woman at the, at the well or the woman caught in adultery. Jesus could have just said, I'm too busy for this. But he was present. He was there. He, he connected. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, it talks about love in, in, in Corinthians. The first thing it says is that love is patient. Love is patient. It sits, it waits, it takes its time. It's okay with that. Love is patient. The fruit of the Spirit, again, what we've been looking at recently in the, NIV, in the NIV, it translates one of the words there as forbearance, which means it puts up with something for a long time, uh, which is why the King James just says long-suffering. Like it doesn't even sugarcoat that. It just says, if you really want to be like the Spirit of God, you've got to have love and joy and peace. I like all of those. And you've got to put up with crap for a long time. I don't know about that one. Uh, in, the, in the English um, standard version, it translates that just as patience, though. Again, it's this idea that you can, it doesn't have to happen immediately for it to make it okay. It can take time. Just wait. Just slow down. Just wait. We need to seek out God and it can take a while. And you know what? You might suck at it and after one hour ring someone to say, come help me. Uh, But seek out the Aramis, the lonely place, the wilderness, whatever it is, find that place and allow yourself to be patient and learn how to be alone. Learn how to sit quietly. Learn how to not freak out about things. You are, you know, you are worried and upset about many things. Just don't be patient. Silence is hard. And it is a practice of faith. Which means that you have to practice it to get better at it. It's a practice of faith. So you have to take your time. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you set an example of a pace of life um, and that you weren't lazy or apathetic, that you, but you had a pace of life that allowed for the lonely place, allowed for the wilderness, allowed for silence, because that was a place of energizing, a place of reflection, a place of peace and calm. And, and Heavenly Father, I pray we would find that place, that we would find the power that is in that place, that we would find the peace that is in that place and that we would be better at it. Help us to practice slowing down. Help us to practice being still, being patient, being kind. God, that we would be like Mary and just know how to sit at your feet. It's the one thing that we wouldn't be worried and upset about all of the other things. God, because we want to be disciples, we want to be apprentices to you. We want to do as you did. We want your yoke that is light and your burden that is easy. Help us, Heavenly Father. Amen.